to This Is Not About Your Body. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I'm very excited to welcome Clarkisha Kent, who is a Nigerian-American writer, a culture critic, a former columnist, and an author whose book uh, called Fat On, Fat Off, A Big Bitch Manifesto uh, is going to be released in March. And uh, Clarkisha identifies as fat, black, dark-skinned, queer, and disabled. And I am so happy uh, to have you on here. Welcome, Clarkisha. Thank you, Jesse, for having me on. I'm super excited to talk with you. Yeah, me too. Um, it was really fun to kind of dive into your work as I was preparing for this interview. So I have many questions. Um, so I'm just going to have you start by telling me a little bit about your story, sort of sharing like what it is you do and uh, what your memoir is about. Okay, so origin story spiel. Um, so I'm, you know, I originally hail from Tennessee, um, and basically I lived there until around, like, you know, eighteen. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Chicago for school. Um, Chicago, well, Tennessee is obviously very uh, foundational for me for a lot of reasons because I also ID as you know, Black African Southerner. Like mm -hmm. that's that's mm -hmm. home right there. Um, I moved to Chicago though, and that's really kind of when I came into myself mm. and like my politics and et cetera. So shout out to Chicago, beautiful <laughs> city. And then after college, I moved back, you know, to Tennessee briefly. And that's kind of when my um, online writing slash online media career kind of started. Um, but I was playing around with blogging for a little bit with my best friend. And then I got my first official you know, quotations, writing job from Aisha Callahan, who used to be the, who was my editor at the time for um, The Root. Mm. She was the very first person, a Black woman, to give me my first writing gig. And oh, wow. after that, it just kind of, you know, <laughs> um, obviously the frequency of work that I got was like very, you know, still yeah. up and down and up and down for obvious reasons, right? Um, but that's kind of where it started. And then since then, I've tried to do my best to kind of like capitalize on that original opportunity. So it led me to writing for places like Entertainment Weekly, BET, mm -hmm. MTV. Um, for a while, it was into more before like the first shuttling of that place is back now. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure my former colleagues still kind of feel <laughs> away because I know I do. I'm not going to lie. Um, but, you know, places like Into More and there's so many other places on my resume but that's kind of where it all revolved around. And then around 2018, 2019, my agent, Claire Draper, shout out to them for, from the, you know, <laughs> from the vent agency, slid into my DMs and was like, so girl, are you looking for an agent? And I was like, I wasn't, but now that you said that, yeah. Because, so <laughs> you know, I didn't know, I, I yeah. knew a little bit from what I yeah, from when I was younger, trying to like pitch certain agents, but mm -hmm. I really, really didn't know the process. So I was very blessed and lucky in that regard that my agent just found me. Um, yeah, so after yeah. that, you know, we signed properly, um, signed up properly together. And initially I was going to write a Western, which I am still going to do. It's like a novel. You write fiction too? Yes. 
amazing. I have I have this whole like it's that I have a big Dropbox of stuff like that I've worked <laughs> on <laughs> over the years. Um, some you know I finished, some I didn't. Uh-huh. You know, my every brethren out there understand of course, the starting and stopping yeah. nature of our creativity, right? Um, so I really want to do a western first because, as we know, that genre has been very whitewashed. Um, yeah. the original cowboys were not white; they were Latinx. You know, Mexicans in particular, um, Texans too, and then Blacks. Oh my gosh, indigenous. this is so cool. Like, yeah. listen, okay, so I'm really trying to go back and honor that history. Um, but at the time, my agent was like, yes, I want that to happen. But have you considered a memoir? Yeah. And yeah. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I per- Even now, even after having written one, I personally am like, memoirs are a teensy bit oh excuse me i'm sorry obviously i'm hungry sorry (laughs) um but memoirs are a teensy bit narcissistic you know in nature Mm. um even Uh, if they end up having like kind of like good a good bent to them right um because it's slightly different than biographies in the fact that you know at least biographies can kind of pretend to Uh be like objective they can still have events because I have read I've read some really you know some really weird biographies like you mm. clearly had a vendetta against this person right but in general like they can pretend that they're removed enough from the subject to be objective sure, um, sure. from a memoir you know for for the most part like this person is telling the story and yeah. this is the person that experienced everything in real time um so I love I memoirs like, by the way so I I hear you I've read some bad ones yeah. for sure but also just I love yeah. it as a genre yeah it is a very interesting uh interesting genre still you know I've yeah. read some interesting ones as well so I was kind of like mm, I don't know if I want to do that but then I thought about it and I was like okay but my life really has been like that dramatic so yeah, I was yeah. like I might as well do it um, and, you know, as someone who is Black, disabled, you know, the whole kind of shortlist that you gave your listeners yeah. at the beginning, um, it's just a good way for me to, like, stick my toe into publishing and then kind of take off from there. Um, Absolutely. It's a very interesting way to introduce myself. But, you know, my yeah. career hasn't really been traditional in any aspect. So I'm like, OK, let's do this. I love that. So, so for the record, I have a here. book coming out in June. So I'm like on a very similarly timed journey here. Um, and something that I learned by going through this process was basically like that they are constantly gambling on the books they, you know, commission, basically. Like it never occurred to me. I'm always like. I've been a reader. I love books. I just sort of thought like, if it's good enough, it gets made, but it's very much like they think, okay, what can sell when and how, and what story is like, it has a market right now. And so I, I think they, they vary your team, your people very smartly, uh, noticed that like the time is now to talk about this stuff. I feel like there really is a need for, uh, for stories like yours to be told. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, okay. So in Let's see, where do I even start? There are so many things here. Um, I don't know if you know much about my work, but I am a body image coach and body neutrality is the work that I do. Uh, Body neutrality being sort of uh, defined by the ability to see your body without the added layer of meaning or interpretation or significance is sort of how I define it. Um, So one of the things that is difficult when I talk about body neutrality is the idea that like, 
it's an alternative to body positivity, but it doesn't feel as good because ultimately for people in marginalized bodies, being able to see your body clearly, it's still shit, right? It's just that you're seeing the shit is the culture. The shit is not your body. Like that's basically the big shift. So I read some of what you wrote about like, uh, I think you used the term uh, cosmic punishment that your body with all of these things that sort of went against uh, society's idea of what bodies are supposed to be like that. It felt like a cosmic punishment. I love this phrase so much. And I'm, I'd love to have you tell me like more about what that means and what that experience was like. Great question. Excellent question. So, you know, um, I am very spiritual. Um, it's, I've, I started a couple of years ago, but with everything that's happened in like the last three, I especially had to like dig my heels in. So um, for me, when I say cosmic pu- ugh, cosmic punishment, I'm kind of viewing it in the viewpoint both of like, you know, like standard spirituality, but also like with some references to like Christianity as well, even though I'm mm-hmm. thankfully far removed from that religion. So for me, it just felt like, Clearly, oh. I had done something to someone somewhere, oh. I don't know, in the sky, in the ground, IDK, some deity got pissed at me for doing whatever in my past life, past lives, plural, and was like, okay, because I don't like you, this, this is the body I'm putting you in. So that's kind of how I felt, uh, particularly with all of like kind of the Christian indoctrination that yeah, kind of yeah. came right home for me. But yeah, that, that was definitely heavy. my thought process when I like, <laughs> There's yeah. a lot to carry. Yeah. And I'm guessing like you're talking about when yeah. you were younger too, which makes it even heavier. Yes. Like, goodness. So how do you think so about it now? Um, how I think about it now is um, like, it's so it's like a mixed bag in that like, for example, COVID has been terrible. It's still terrible. Mm. I still urge everyone to do as best as you can in protecting yourself. Because obviously the government doesn't give a fuck about us and kind of just left us to flail, right? Mm. So for me, you know, despite like the terribleness of COVID, like the obvious terribleness, um, it actually really got me to like stop in my tracks and kind of analyze my role or excuse me, my body's role in what's going on. So it's one of those things, especially Mm. when like fat phobic and diet rhetoric started dialing back up. Yeah. around you know kind of like the beginning I want to say beginning months maybe a year into like the yep. pandemic you know people were like oh you know I was sitting inside I gained weight da, 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 da. Yep. and people are doing this complaining and I'm like but COVID like you know I mean right right you want to gain you know a few extra pounds versus your immune system is now like dead like yeah, like yeah. which I like priorities right but you know because of that because because of COVID kind of looming over me in my household, I really thought about the role my body plays in that, like, this bitch is just trying to protect me. Like, obviously, society has casted its own aspersions onto my body. And, you know, I had a role in that, too, in terms of, like, internalizing. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to say the whole my body's temple because that, you know, again, <laughs> sure. but I will say that... <laughs> My body is like, you know, is my house. It's, you know, my cover, <laughs> you know, without my body, yeah. you know, without my body, I can't, this, te- you know, yeah. from a spiritual aspect, right? If, once my body's gone, then I'm not tethered here anymore. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, So I thought about it like that. And I was like, okay, so you can't just be treating her anyhow, just because mm-hmm. I don't know, someone somewhere on the internet doesn't like 
how it looks like okay yeah. and you're not gonna beat my ass so it doesn't matter you know so <laughs> so yeah that's kind of how I think about it now oh that's so interesting so it sounds like then it's fairly recent for you to find a certain amount of body acceptance I don't think I realized that from what I was reading um I mean, you're obviously a very prolific writer. So maybe it was just the volume that I, I was like reading. I was like, oh, you've got this like in the bag. So tell me then, like, what was your body image like before that shift happened? Because that's a long time to go, like really in that dark place of like this body is a punishment. So um, I like to be truthful with people and say that the the fight is ongoing. Like, mm -hmm, you know, I didn't mm -hmm. just wake up one day and be like, oh, I feel great now. Um, there are some days where I feel awesome. Like today I feel great. You know, my body looks great. My hair looks great. I got <laughs> gloss on. I feel great, you know. Um, but some days, you know, I don't feel as great. Some days mm -hmm. I'm like, you really look like that? No. <laughs> so um, it's one of those things like I try to hold space for myself no matter what, no matter yeah. what day you know whatever day from day to day how yeah. I feel right um but yeah part of me having the recent realizations that I also chronicle in the book was the fact that um I also wanted to put a spotlight on my age because 20s are, are rough 20 I'm 28 I'm okay 29 okay. this year <laughs> awesome yeah so um 20s you know your 20s are ghetto okay they get yeah. Like, yeah so I feel like some of us lose sight um of that because there's again so much societal messaging about us having to have it all together and wrapped yeah, up yeah. nice in a bow by the time you hit 30 and that's just not realistic personally when I turned I 30 I was like good 20s. riddance <laughs> right right like I'm ready to put 20s behind me yeah but that doesn't mean I'll have like all my shit together by the time I hit 30 mm -hmm. um you know, me personally, I think people like to say, oh, your 20s are your best time. No, 20s are ghetto. It's for you to really <laughs> figure out your footing without, if you know, if you're lucky enough, without like the thumb of your yeah. parents, family yeah. or whatever. So it's like really your like identity building time. And yeah. then 30s thereafter, it's just kind of you like figuring out what happens next after that really foundational work. Yeah. So with that in mind, that's kind of why it was like a recent thing to like feel like kind of be at this place with mm. my body. I also hear that I think there's there's something in the way that you're talking about it where it's more about respect than it is necessarily um, like, I don't know if you identify it as love, but respect is so important to be able to say my body's doing its best. It's protecting me. It's deserving of care and respect. Like. I think th this is a huge reason I don't do body positivity, right? It's a huge reason I like the idea of neutrality. You, you can sort of say I'm worthy uh, no matter how I look and no matter how I feel about how I look. My body is worthy no matter how it looks and no matter how I feel about how it looks. And these are things that are just like basic human respect things as opposed to, oh, I look amazing. I love how I look every day. And that changes everything. I mean, the way that you interact yes. with yourself and the world. I love that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I uh, I think it was in Salvation, um, one of Bell Hook's books. Um, forgive me if that's the wrong book, but she had the whole love series that she wrote. Yeah. And in her, there's a really important passage in some of the early chapters where she talks about um, 
there is no love if respect is not present like oftentimes you know people Mm -hmm. talk about like yeah kind of the trifling shit they do and get away with with like people maybe people in their lives lovers friends or whatever but they'll be like oh it's okay because i love them and i'm like no you don't because you don't respect them you don't Uh give a fuck because if you did respect them we're not even talking about love if you did respect them you wouldn't feel so comfortable violating them Mm -hmm. or like steamrolling their wants and needs or boundaries like like ever since i read that passage i really kind of looked at myself right i'm not blameless myself um my community my interpersonal relationships and really thought about that and i was like okay um, if I feel like that's not at the center of some of these relationships, then either we have to go back to the drawing board or yeah. I might have to let them slide. You know, I might have to let it go. But that was my thing. I was like, respect. Yeah. Respect is it. And, and it opens up to be the foundation of love. It opens up such an like existential conversation about what love is as well. Like the idea of it being a practice, not a like feeling, you know, that it's something that you are dedicated and committed to, not just like a state that sort of lands on you randomly or a mood. I mean, it really opens up a lot because if we actually as a society believed that about love, like so much shit would be so different. Rom-coms would just be nothing, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it would be, yeah, yeah. They'd be put out of business. Yeah. More so than now. <laughs> okay. Um, so one thing that I think I want to have you talk a little bit about is uh, very particularly finding respect for yourself and your body in a body that society says is less worthy of respect. And particularly here, there's two, uh, I mean, I, there are multiple issues, I guess, but the two big issues that I was sort of connecting to as I read your work is being in a fat body and being in a dark-skinned black body. And these are two things that are just so, so hugely and like um, undeniably out there as uh, the signals that you've gotten, that we've all gotten about what makes a body worthy of respect. Um, So I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on like, what is it like to find that respect in a world that treats bodies like yours, like that? You know, like, yeah, any thoughts you have, I'm, I, this can go a lot of places. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, another great question. So I would say, like I mentioned in the summary, um, that it kind of makes the, you know, the, the building, like the process of building that respect, um, nearly impossible, or it makes it like I mentioned, like very oxymoronic, like the whole, oh, self-esteem, you know, it's self-esteem. And I'm like, that's all good and well. Mm -hmm. But if you literally have forces working against that self-esteem, like it's not really going to be easy to build. And in the worst case scenario, you might just abandon it, abandon it altogether because maybe you don't see that it's worth it. So for me, it definitely was like a constant uphill battle because, you know, in my case, I obviously came from like a shitty household. So I was already kind of at a disadvantage, like right off the bat. But mm. even for someone like I've seen some people who have like their families hold them down, like their families are awesome, right? Yeah. They are the safe space that families are supposed to be. But upon exiting, you know, the world is still like, okay, fuck you. Like we gonna bully you, right? So right. it's one of those things like it is a constant uphill battle. So I always tell people who share these identities with me that like, listen, do not feel bad 
if like on a given day you know the rhetoric is winning like don't feel Mm. bad if you really just feel like shit because of what has been said like you are a human being we are not impervious to these kinds of things because if we were the world would look a kind like it would look different um but you know the the balance comes or i guess your personal job like you as an individual is to just keep in mind that um this is supposed to be a team effort right between you and maybe the people you share these identities with so by yourself if you just feel like it's super overwhelming don't even feel bad because again you're coming up against whole systems like Mm -hmm. systems that predate you and me so don't even feel bad if like it seems to be impossible in the moment because like these little systems they have had practice okay they've Mm -hmm. had practice for like last couple hundred you know years so um that's kind of how I look at it um it is still kind of tough because sometimes when you again internalize you feel really silly because you know it's not your voice and yet it's still like it's like oh it still has all this power over me and I'm like don't look at it like that just look at it as the fact that like okay all right today today you've won today's battle Mm -hmm. but tomorrow I'm gonna be back I'm gonna be back. I'm gonna be back. I'm gonna get some sleep. I'm gonna yeah. drink my water and then we're gonna fight. Okay. So that's kind of how I like look at it. I think that's beautiful. It really invites a lot of like compassion and patience into a process that is, I mean, you're basically just accepting, oh, this is gonna be harder for for me, for us, than it is for other people. And therefore, yes it's okay for me to struggle. It's okay for me to, to take my time. It's okay for me to have bad days. I mean, what else can you do? Like that, that to me sounds so self-compassionate and kind, and it makes space for there to be these moments of like it won today, but that doesn't mean I give up. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, also I think in this, it's so important just to like what you said, it was supposed to be a team effort really struck me because you know, like (laughs) evolutionary biology, like there's stuff at play. That's not even just you versus systems. It's like literally how we evolved was to know ourselves and our value in relationship with our community. And like literally ourselves develop in relationship with our parents. So depending on, or, or not necessarily our parents, but our, you know, caretakers and attachment figures. So Yes. In all of this stuff, like there was supposed to be a a very rewarding exchange so that there is like yes. worth being built inside of you because there is worth that you see reflected of yourself and other people. Right. Like that is what it was supposed to be. And so when you really think about how far society's gotten from that and how many battles, like, for example, you said, you know, having a certain kind of childhood and then going out into this world versus like, if at least the childhood was this really like boundaried and safe space and then going out, like it really, I mean, it is overwhelming to think about Um, sometimes the idea that, oh, we should all love ourselves and our bodies is more pressure (laughs) uh, than it's worth. Yeah. So tell me about colorism. Um, I'd love to have you define that for uh, the listeners and then talk a little bit about uh, your experience and also just like the experience of uh, of that in, in the U.S. Um, so uh, I should 
make it clear that you know colorism definitely stretches beyond the U.S. You know, oh, of course. Um, for example, you know, my Indian brethren, they'll tell you at length like the whole caste system that's set up um, against mm -hmm. them. You know, to fail mm -hmm. if you are dark skinned right? But in the states, um, obviously, our brand, you know, stems back to slavery. Obviously, yeah. Um, but if I'm just offering like a simple definition, then I would say um, that colorism is particularly a discrimination against um, darker skinned people of the same ethnic group. Like that is key in the definition because people try to like conflate it with racism. And yeah. I get what they're trying to say, but like colorism different. Like it's like, it's like we getting we're getting deeper into racism, but it's like a sub, right. like a sub thing. It's like it almost like broke off. It's like a branch. Like it's still mm. part of the ugly ass racist tree, but it's still its own thing. Yeah. Um, so based on that definition and based on the history of it here, um, I would say experience wise, um, the darker you are, the more issues you'll experience with like, you know, criminality and incarceration. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have the link on me now, um, but one of my mutuals, I believe her name was like Awkward Duck on Twitter. I'll have to go back and check. Sorry girl if I fucked it up um but she had shared some articles like a month or so ago and it talked about how like even when gender comes into play like the darker you are the more likely or at least you know the more likely societal forces mm -hmm. um are going to hone in on you in terms of trying to incarcerate you very important yeah, yeah, yeah. um so things like that things like housing things like jobs like it goes really deep like you'll get passed over for certain jobs depending on the bias of the person in charge um housing might not be extended to you as easily again because of the bias of the person yeah. who owns the property or whatever um so yeah colorism goes really deep usually unfortunately a lot of the focus of colorism comes down to like, like dating mm. and while it is like kind of reducing colorism to dating can be like childish in a way. Um, I agree. Um, I understand why it usually starts there for people because, you know, sometimes people move very ignorantly when it comes to like these systems because it's not like directly affecting them at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm guilty of that when it came to like disability. Like I really, like, it's not that I didn't give a shit, but like I really was not paying attention until, you know, sure, I fucked yeah. my CEO. So it's kind of like the same with um, mm. issues like colorism, right? You know, sometimes we just don't, we don't register it until it happens to us again on a personal level. Yeah. So when people come up against it in dating, they're like, oh, wow, this is kind of serious. Mm. So, um, so in dating, dating, you're specifically talking about the fact that statistically it is harder for darker skinned black people to find partners. Um, particularly women. Particularly um, women. There's a whole, yeah, there's a whole mm. conversation where it comes to men, but you know, that's not my ministry. They'll have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> totally but, fair. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a woman, so I'm gonna uh -huh. comment. You know, they'll yeah. have to talk about that. It's a whole can of worms over there. I'm not ready to like talk about. <laughs> but for me, totally fair. Um, it's definitely tougher. Um, dating wise, um, particularly because um there's a lot of extremes like either you're like completely ignored or people decline to ignore you 
but they're just very nasty to you Mm -hmm. and not just like saying nasty things just treating you in a poor way like Uh for example um maybe I own a club right and I decided to bring in all the light-skinned girls right from the back of the line and then I just don't let in any dark-skinned girls like really weird and overt shit like that like it's not enough that you don't like me you also have to degrade me Mm -hmm. so that's kind of like that's kind of how I look at colorism it's like not I mean it's not harmless period but it's like people really go out of their way when you're a darker skinned woman to try to harm you um and um aside from that like a side conversation um would be to talk about how like colorism also complicates gender for darker skinned women um because a lot of times the darker you are the more readily society tries to kind of like um, strip you of your womanhood if, you know, if that's how you like ID or whatever. Like they'll be like, oh, you know, you're dark. Um, They're going to be more inclined to masculinize you, Um, especially if your hair does not look as feminine to them. Um, I talk about a little of that in the book, but it really is a serious issue. Um, I was talking to some of my girlfriends a couple of um, months ago, and we had a whole discussion where we were like, oh, after our big chop, you know, I was misgendered so many mm. times, like, like just aggressively. And then you would correct people and they just look bewildered because they, they just really assume that you're a man. And I'm like, do y'all not? Y'all don't realize right. how fucked up that is. You don't. Yeah, I have to cuss you out first for you to realize how fucked up it is. Mm. Okay. But I think that would be for me kind of like my spiel on colorism, like in a shortened way. Um, yeah. Obviously, if I was doing a TED talk, I would have, like, <laughs> I would have whole oh, we could go I would on. have it all laid out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's kind of like my like mini spiel on it. Uh huh. Well, thank you for, for sharing all that. Something that I've always thought was really interesting um, is the way that some of the like statistically least desirable on, you know, like dating apps, for example, um, are, are very dark skinned black women and, uh, very like short or small Asian men. And what's so interesting about that, I think, is that if you flip to the other gender in both of these cases, we have people who are being extremely fetishized and sexualized, Yes, like very petite yes. Asian women, yes. extremely fetishized and sexualized, you know, uh, big masculine, very dark skinned men, extremely fetishized and sexualized. So it's so interesting that that is like such a direct, um, you know, like that it's such a direct binary and yeah, I mean, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it. I've just always found that so fascinating. I think, you know, my briefest answer, because like I mentioned, I would have to do a whole like write-up. Uh-huh. Uh, my briefest answer would be to say that like, it's all, it's like, it's still the same oppressive force at work. Um, You know, it just so happens that like that other um side that's being fetishized is like, in a way like supposedly giving the less harmful it's not it's not not harmful right like the less harmful version of the oppression that's going on Uh um now obviously fetishization is terrible because people will do a lot of weird shit to you based on their weird fetish right um but when you're looking at it um systemically you know it looks on the surface 
as if it's not harmful. So people that are kind of pushing this oppressive force are like, oh, I know, you know, I'm treating your like darker sister over there, like real terrible, but like, you're not the same. So like, I'm going to fetishize you and it won't be as bad technically, but like, I still don't see you as human in the same way that I don't see your sister as human, but you know, I'm still like attracted to you. So that's okay. Like, it's like people literally like think like that. And I'm like, that's scary. (laughs) So that is scary. That is so true. This idea that like, because it's sort of positive as opposed to negative, we imagine that the fetishization is a good thing that it is like, Oh, sure. It's like the thing of I can't be racist because I I sleep with, you know, so and so. Right. Like it's this it's this idea that if there's attraction, there must be humanization, but there's absolutely not. And in fact, fetishization and oppression, like they're both dehumanizing. It's just that one of them is being used in a different way. Like that's it. And uh, something also is seen as a positive, but no. Yeah. I always say too, like objectification of women, um, you know, we can all name the examples that are like uh, sort of catcalling, for example, right? It's like, it's a quote unquote positive thing that this random construction worker is calling out. It's like that you're hot, but what it really is, is that he feels entitled to tell you what to do to be pleasing. Right. And like that he feels entitled to your body, entitled to you to be um, attractive to him, like smile, baby, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It is exactly the same thing to tell a uh, a, a non-conventionally attractive person on the internet that like she should lose weight be- because it's entitlement. It's like you owe me an attractive appearance. It's the same exact thing. It's just that one supposedly was a compliment, even though it's super oppressive. The yes. other one is just obviously oppressive, right? It's like, it's yes. the same exact thing. It's objectification and dehumanization. Yes. And also something, you talk a little bit about gender essentialism um, in your work. And I I love that, like, I'm also bi, so that bisexual experience has sort of like led you to it. But I also think there's something in this where it's like, you know, uh, Asian men are seen as too feminine. And like you just said, dark-skinned Black women are seen as too masculine. It's also like, it just fits this idea of what people are supposed to be according to this binary uh, gender essentialist view that doesn't make space for humans. Yeah. Um, you know, I also want to point out that like, obviously it's a, a racial thing too, like in terms of like, people are basing all these gender notions off of um, whiteness, whiteness yeah. like mm-hmm. white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, and like I mentioned, Christianity plays a huge part. Like people really try to like, try to, you know, make all sorts of arguments like bend backwards to be like oh you know that's just bad christians that are mm-hmm. no it's the whole religion <laughs> it's the whole doctrine you know and you they can't even play me because i've read this stuff like i was yeah. in that sunday school reading mm-hmm. i've seen it right you know people take whatever passage they deem necessary to like really push this racist you know, gender essentialist yeah. view of what body should look like, whether it's fat, skinny, you know, masculine, feminine does not matter. Like they really are like, okay, you know, according to the Bible, according to this, according to that, you should look this way. If you don't look this way, then, you know, you're going to hell, like something like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to that binary that is, you know, that leaves no space for you. If you are not white, yeah. if you are not thin, if you are not straight, you know, and we, we can keep going. But. Yeah. 
Um, and that reminds me, by the way, I'd love to hear you um, talk a little bit about the term misogynoir, because I feel like uh, just a few minutes ago, actually probably would have been a good moment to pause there, but it's a, mm -hmm. it's a really important term. It's a really important concept. And uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, like maybe, I don't know about defining it exactly, you know, but talking a little bit about what that is. Mm -hmm. um, so the term was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, I forgot exactly what year, but just know I was probably not alive. I don't know, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but she coined it and, you know, um, to put it like very simply, like I said, you know, there is a, like a more detailed definition, but if I'm like, you know, if I'm compressing mm -hmm. it, I would say that, you know, it's the intersection between, you know, racism and misogyny, but for like black women in particular. Yeah. Um, so it literally traces like how this like racist society treats us based on those intersections so like i mentioned um black women in general in general i would say um obviously colorism plays a factor but black women right. in general like people really play with us about our gender like you know you know being black they really are like you know you don't fit or they keep moving the goalpost right mm -hmm. so that's why i always get really like irritated um within my community when i I meet transphobes because I'm mm -hmm. like, y'all, like they believe this same shit about us. Like you're right. trying to act like that's like someone else's problem. And I'm like, people call our gender into question all the time. So trying to align oh, yourself with, yeah. I guess, the dominant oppressive force mm -hmm. is not going to help you because once they're done with that person over there, it's you next. You're yeah. next. Like you're trying to act like, you know, being cool with them is going to help you. And no, it's not. The goalpost will always be moving as long as, you know, our blackness is like a factor. Yeah. So it it's what you just said. I think that like beauty ideals, Western beauty ideals were created within white supremacy and not not even just white supremacy. Right. Like very mm -hmm. particular European features being like upheld as this ideal. And then it's like the further and further person gets away from it with very yeah. few exceptions. You just sort of lose the like status or whatever as, you know, yeah. being close to this ideal. And so really what we're talking about is people whose identities put them the furthest yeah. from this European light-skinned like ideal and not just, oh, okay. So like you, you don't get to be seen as like beautiful. It, it's so much more than that. It's obviously, like you said, it's the oppression of housing and, you know, medical care and all of these things that are so, yep. so fucked up and dangerous. Um, but also in terms of like dating, for example, or, or just basic human respect. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I also just like, as a writer, I just think it's such a great word. It's just such a great word for the concept, right? Like it's just so beautiful. <laughs> Misogynoir, like I mean, I love a portmanteau and I just feel like it's so, it's, yeah, it's a great one. It's great. Um, it's succinct. Like, yeah, I immediately, when you say, it, I immediately know, you know, what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I feel the same. Okay. So here's the thing I've been most excited to talk to you about after going through your site was the Kent test. So this is, uh, I am assuming most people listening are probably familiar with the Bechdel test um, about uh, basically, I'm blanking on the history of it, but basically whether or not two characters in a scene are of any movie or TV are talk not talking about men or 
not being men. It's basically like a sexism test that was never really intended to be, but you know, uh, just to like critique media, movies, TV, et cetera. Now tell me about the Kent test that you made up. Okay, so the Kent test made up back in 2018. Um, it actually came out on International Women's Day um, in 2018. Um, and I had originally partnered up with Equality for Her and we did like a whole like representation like packet. So there was the test and like terminology and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Equality for Her is not really a thing anymore, but for me, I really wanted to keep the test. I was like, this is very important. Um, so I actually came up with the test um, for like a variety of reasons, but like what really did it for me was um, Nicole Bahari's treatment on Sleepy Hollow. Um, fans of that show know that she was fucked over. Like she was like one of the main attractions and they pushed her aside, A, because, you know, um, ableist, because she actually mm. has an autoimmune disorder. So um, they were just like, I guess they don't, they didn't want to deal with her and the inconvenience of her being sick to them, right? Um, and then yeah. on the second, like on the, sorry, on the flip side of that, um, obviously racism, because mm -hmm. like the first person they replaced her with was this like uninteresting, like white female character. And I'm like, of course, of course. Um, so they really just like did her dirty. And I was just like, I could just complain, which, you know, I'd be doing that anyway. Sometimes I'd be yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to complain. I'm mad. But I was like, I could just complain or I could complain and like do something. So um, I came up with the test. Um, I watched not just that, but like a couple of different pieces of media before I like cemented um, what I felt about it. Um, some of those pieces, including uh, include Black Panther, like the first film, because um, the film was very like woman centric, like Charles there and he's still doing his thing or whatever. But like, you know, when he's like outside of the movie for a second you know it's the women who are the stars yeah, right yeah. so based on some of those pieces I put it together and I was like okay so this 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 is what I'm gonna do like they need a, they, they need an arc they need to make sure they're not fetishized there needs to be interactions between more than one um black female character or like a like a non you know non-white woman um yeah. you know because I don't like tokens so basically consuming a media for as long as I have and as critically as I have made me feel like, okay, like I know the criteria that I look yeah. at certain pieces of media with, but I just need, I need to write it down. I need to yeah. write it down because it's important for um, people to have the language. Um, it's very likely that, you know, other black women um, or other non-white women have like had the same critiques on these pieces of media that I did but maybe just didn't have the verbiage. Yeah. Um, so as someone who was actually an English, English major um, at the University of Chicago, I was like, okay, it's important to me yeah. to always have the right words, the right mm -hmm. verbiage. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put on paper and then we're going to see where this all goes. Okay, so to clarify, because I don't think I said this, uh, so the Bechdel test is used as a tool to sort of uh, measure and critique the amount of sexism in a piece of media. And the Kent test yeah. is exactly the same but used to measure the amount of racism in a piece of media so what you're talking about yeah, racism and misogyny yeah racism and misogyny so it, it combines them um but the the thing that you're talking yeah. about here is the unique needs for critiquing racism because again i think it would be too easy to say oh a person of color was displayed as a prominent character but if they were fetishized 
that really doesn't, you know, like, so because there were unique, it doesn't do uh, anything. right. There are unique needs and you pulled them together after, I mean, this just sounds like it was always meant to be your, <laughs> your job. It's yeah. so up your alley. So right in your wheelhouse. Um, to pull this together and I'm, I'm with you on like finding the exact right language for things. Um, so you created this tool and this sort of test that people can use to, uh, sort of assess and critique the media in that way. Yeah. I love that. Um, and thank you. Yeah. Cause it just, it's egregious sometimes. And for media, I know people are really here to, we really tired, sorry of hearing about, you know, representation and, you know, admittedly, you know, the concept definitely has been beaten to death in the States, particularly where politics are concerned or politicians, because, you know, mm -hmm. they love to adopt messages and then water them down. We've seen it time and time again. Um, but for me, um, as someone who does look at media critically, um, I think it's important to do so because like, there are so many messages that we unconsciously um, absorb by not critically looking at things. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example, right? So um, so two examples actually. So on one hand, I remember some time ago, maybe weeks or months ago, I was sitting with my sister. We were watching, I think, Abbott Elementary or something else. And my news is Hulu and we be hanging out or whatever and the commercials came on. So I usually mute the commercials anyways, cause I don't wanna hear all that bullshit. Yeah. So on the TV that day when I muted, there was like, commercials for like Papa John's or like another pizza joint like it's at least two pizza commercials mm -hmm. mind you I muted it I went away to go do something else right and then I came back when it's done now sometime later I don't remember if it was the next day or hours later but sometime later I was suddenly like you know what I want some pizza <laughs> Right. So like it, right. it doesn't seem right because like, I didn't sit there and actually uh -huh. watch it and hear, you know, I didn't hear none of the specials, but still it was enough for me to have seen the image for me yep. to be like, oh, I want some pizza. And that kind of stuff happens all the time, even on social media. Like you won't be yeah. paying attention to nothing, but you'll be scrolling and maybe later yep. you either see an ad related to the very thing you passed, which is freaky, obviously, yeah. or like it'll somehow like incept itself to, into your brain. And now you're thinking yeah. about that thing you just happened to pass. You didn't even stop and look at it. Uh -huh. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing um, that I want to bring up is because I'm based in Virginia, right? And mm -hmm. um, I particularly want to highlight like Glenn Youngkin's campaign. Now, fuck him. I hope one day he fall in a ditch. I don't, I don't <laughs> care for him, man. He's very hateful. Very hateful. He's a hateful man. Like, like, no matter what, no matter what political, you know, you know, whatever sure, thing yeah. you identify with, he's very hateful, like just like a white supremacist through and yeah. through. I'm in North Carolina, nice by the way. So I, I understand. Yeah. yeah. So but the one thing no one can take away from him is the fact that he ran a great media campaign. Like mm. when I was on Hulu, I could not go two seconds without seeing an ad from his campaign. Um, hmm. It got so intense that after he was elected, I just so happened to ask some of my peers who were like in the area or right outside of Virginia, if they had even heard of the other candidate. And they couldn't tell me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't tell me. And I'm like, that's how powerful media is. Yeah. So I always encourage 
encourage people to really look critically at what you're being fed on this TV or on this movie or whatever, because so many things have a proper, you know, so many things are just propaganda. They just dress it up real nice. Um, You know, um, I think it was Malcolm X that said that, like, you know, media is like the like propaganda arm of the U.S. in terms of like, you know, racism, imperialism, Mm -hmm. colonialism, like we keep going. But like it really plays like it really plays a role um, in how things function in the States. So I'm always going to be like everything is up for critique. Look critically at everything, even things you don't think are that serious. Mm hmm. So I completely agree. The impact that this stuff has on us is huge. Obviously, when it comes to like beauty ideals and the work that I do with clients, I'm often uh, <clears throat> kind of put in a position of, you know, I don't want to tell people what to do exactly, but but inviting critique, inviting more awareness of how things are impacting them. Because so many people have their feeds full of like, you know, uh, conventionally attractive influencers, for example, and then they wonder why they don't feel good enough. You know, these things are so, so deep. And again, yep. it goes back to evolutionary biology. We are not going to outthink this by being like, oh, I'm aware that that's a filter. Like that's not enough when it's blasted into your brain yep. every day. And you start to feel like this mm-hmm. is what's good. And everybody likes it. You just see those numbers. You see that, you know, that shiny world. And it, it goes so far beyond oh, I know this is fake, you know, cause like your, your, your genetics don't right. Like you can consciously say, right. oh, that's not real, but it doesn't matter. Um, and what you're saying, it just really aligns with that, that like being critical of these things and having an awareness of how they're impacting us is huge and not trying to like, or yeah. rather not letting our ego maybe be like, oh, it's cool. I, I can, I can outthink that. Yeah, I'm so above influence yeah. or corruption or, yeah. and you know, just like people I would never really order pizza after think, seeing like, a pizza commercial. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, people really think they're above that stuff. Like they can't yeah. be corrupted or like they yeah. just can't be like just spoon fed propaganda in that way. And I'm like, OK, it's not like, it's not an issue of willpower or logic. It's no, it's not. It's not. No. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I encourage everyone. Um, I mean, I'm going to link to your website in the show notes anyway, and I recommend everybody go check Clarkisha out because some of the writing in the blog and everything is just, just chef's kiss. Um, but specifically you have a whole like tab for this test. So I encourage people to go check out, um, the Kent test. I think it's such a cool, uh, a cool tool for us to be able to use and, and think more critically about the media we consume. Yeah. Um, okay. So anything else that you wanted to talk about today? Anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to? Um, you know, I just want to shout out my book, obviously. Yes, please. Um, it comes out on March 7th of this year. So we about like 17-ish days away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just bought my book. Um, that's going to be my first book of many, you know, and you could find it on um feminist press's website feministpress.org they're my publisher shout out mm. to them um but you can also find it where other books are sold or you know also used in a library which also plugging my love for libraries go support your local library go get a freaking library card i don't know go there i don't know have a picnic something go <laughs> incorporate the library into your life okay you know and they just don't deal with books 
they be having classes. Mm-hmm. I've seen some that have like cooking classes and like classes for like becoming handy. Um, DVDs, cassette tapes, doesn't matter. Like the library is such a wealth of knowledge and community. And people should know that based on how hard a lot of these mayors and other politicians are trying to like squeeze them mm. out of existence. So go support your local library. Um, libraries are the reason I am who I am. Cause like when I couldn't get any peace at home, guess where I was? The library. Um, so that's my side spiel. But yes, you can borrow Fat Off Fat On, hopefully from your local library. If it is not there, don't worry. Literally just talk to your friendly librarian and be like, hey, can I request this book? And they'll do it. Um, So yeah, plug in my book, um, get it from this press. You can get it from Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, doesn't matter. Um, But yeah, that'd probably be it in terms of like, sorry, let me back up. The name of the book is Fat Off, Fat On, a bitch, a Big Bitch Manifesto. Just in case I didn't mention that. I know, Jesse, you did, but you yeah, know, yeah. You know, for, for symmetry's sake, want to mention it at the mm-hmm. end, too. Um, as as far as where to find me, I'm on Twitter right now while the app is still alive. <laughs> at <laughs> I ride all day underscore. Um, and then I'm on IG as at Clarkisha Kent. I am also on High Social at at Clarkisha Kent. Mm. Um, most places you'll find me at Clarkisha Kent. Um, and then there's my website, www.clarkishakent.com. Um, and yeah, I also have another media test in the works, but y'all will oh, see that. Fun. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to see. All right. Well, thank yes. you so much for being here, Clarkisha. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, I think that this uh, podcast will probably be coming out very close to your book release okay. date. So that'll be cool. Um, and I, I look forward to reading it myself and uh, yeah, I, I hope it does awesome. And I look forward to seeing where you take everything else as well. Um, So thank you for being here and everybody. uh, Thank you for listening to my podcast. You know where to find me, justineeland.com and on Instagram at justineeland. And uh, that is it for today. And I'll catch you all next week.